It seems that our strongest voices may be missing this morning. Uh, or some of those songs are in the stratosphere for me. They're way up there. But uh, we have, feebly as we have, uh, confessed some wonderful truth this morning. Uh, let me begin by saying it's good to be home. It's good to be back. Last week, uh, Stacy and I were in Santa Teresa, New Mexico, participating in the ordination of Frank Gonzalez, the new pastor there at Santa Teresa Baptist Church. And representing our congregation was a great encouragement to that church and to Frank uh, and to Brother Dave Hendricks. Uh, Brother Dave has been there pastoring for over 20 years uh, as a sole elder and now to have a uh, a partner in ministry uh, is such a blessing for him. Uh, he was ill and in the hospital and was unable to attend last Sunday. So that was that was a bit of a disappointment. But even in that, uh, the Lord blessed. Uh, and it, it was a blessing to be there. And it's a great blessing to be a part of an association. Uh, to worship with the saints in our sister churches. Uh, but it's always a blessing to be home. And uh, so we're glad to be back. Uh, and it's good to be back in our systematic study through the New Testament epistle of 1 Peter. Uh, so if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. We're reminded as we come to chapter 1 of 1 Peter once again. That this first chapter has been focusing our attention on salvation. The salvation given as a gift from God to the elect through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And after uh, the first verses have extolled the greatness of this salvation, the Spirit has directed us to motivations for holy living. That's what we've looked at over the past few messages and we found that we should be motivated to holy lives, firstly, because God, our father, is a righteous and impartial judge. We also note that our proper fear of God should motivate us to live holy. And then we've seen that the holiness of God himself should spur us on to holiness. Be holy, for I am a holy. We saw most recently that we are motivated to live lives of holiness because we have been purchased, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ Jesus. Uh, today, once again, we will read verses 17 through 21. And our attention will be on verses 20 and 21. So please follow along in your Bible as I read beginning in verse 17. Hear now the word of the living God. If you address as father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in, the, in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, 
inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Let's bow our heads and ask God's blessing on our time. Great triune God of heaven, the one who exists in three distinct, co-eternal, co-equal subsistences, yet one essence and the essence undivided, one God. We come to you now as creatures, the crown of creation, but dust and lowly. So far from you, our creator and our God, even though we are made in your image. So we pray now that you would help us in our time of need. That you would give us aid to know you as you have revealed yourself through your word. Help us to expand our, our ignorant and narrow minds to apprehend you, to know you truly, to more fully appreciate the person and work of Jesus Christ and the great salvation that we have through him. Help us today that as our text declares, our faith and hope would be in you, our God. Teach us Apply your word to us for the edification of your church and the advancement of your kingdom, we pray. Amen. So we pick up in verse 20 today after Peter has just commended us to holy living in view of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He goes on to speak of Jesus Christ. And we find this wonderful revelation of the Son of God. Not, not that this is the first time in Scripture or, or even the place where more ink has been spilled here on this doctrine. Peter has a way of concisely saying things that were said in other places by Paul and others. But we have here some important things to consider about our Savior. Verse 20, first of all, we read that Jesus Christ, he was foreordained before the foundation of the world. And I'd like to spend just a little bit of time trying to understand this word here in my New American Standard, foreknown, in other English translations, foreordained or chosen. And this morning, I'm, I'm thankful for the variety of translations in our, our language because we see here the broader use, the broader biblical use of this word. If we saw the word foreknown, like some of your Bibles will say, we might very simply 
think that this Greek word only means to have information beforehand, to, to have knowledge ahead of time. But we see its use in Scripture, and we find that it is more than knowing beforehand. So we think about God's knowledge and what God knows, and, and we remember as we've been studying the doctrine of God in our Wednesday night classes, we remember that God does not learn. There's no potential in God. Amen. And God does not learn. God cannot learn. He knows all things by virtue of his character and his dominion because he is God. So God does not learn, which means he knows all that he knows, which is everything. And, and he has known all things from all eternity. So what does this mean about what God has known beforehand? What God has known ahead of time? God has existed from eternity and has had all knowledge from eternity. So everything God knows, he has known before it came to pass. There's no contingency. God knows all. And in this sense, we could say that God knows beforehand and we could use the word God foreknows everything. So, so for us to speak of God's knowledge is to speak of his knowing ahead of time, of his knowing beforehand. But the Bible uses this word when it speaks of God's foreknowledge, uses this word in a special, in a particular way. One thing that I didn't put in my notes, but I would, I would uh, encourage you to look at this and, and to seek, search this out. When the Bible speaks of God's foreknowledge, it does not speak of God's foreknowledge of facts, of God's foreknowledge of events. Now, does God foreknow facts? Yes. Does God foreknow events? Yes. But the Bible doesn't use the word in that way. The Bible uses the word God foreknowing to speak of individuals, to speak of knowing people. And in this text, to speak of knowing Christ, this foreknowledge. So the Bible uses this term in a, in a way that we can see in other translations when it is translated foreordained. It certainly does give us an idea, and there is some reference here to knowing something or, or to something that is beforehand. And we see that in the text when we see that Christ was foreordained from before the foundations of the world. Uh, now that's Bible speak from eternity past. Christ was foreordained from before the foundations of the world. And that certainly gives us this beforehand idea. But we have this ordained sense. This chosen sense. What's being communicated here is that Jesus Christ was ordained. He was chosen to be the Messiah. Chosen to be the sacrifice for sin. 
The Father decreed salvation. The Holy Spirit applies salvation. But it's Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, who accomplished salvation through His life, death, and resurrection. Our salvation is very much a Trinitarian salvation. And let me say this. The only salvation that is, is a Trinitarian salvation. That's why we refer to Trinitarian errors like modalism, oneness, as heresy. There is no salvation. All salvation that is biblical salvation is a Trinitarian salvation. But as we speak of a Trinitarian salvation, specifically and particularly, we can say it was the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, which was shed for sinners who believe on Him. He was chosen for this work. Jesus Christ was ordained to this task. And he was ordained before the foundation of the world from eternity past, before the foundations of the world. And this reminds us that the salvation of men was not a contingency plan that went into effect after Adam's sin. Uh, some have the idea that God placed Adam in the Garden of Eden and, and then Adam sinned and then God said, oh no, what will we do? We need, we need a plan. No, Christ was foreordained to be the sacrifice for sin from before the foundation of the world, from eternity past. The shedding of Christ's blood was the original plan of God from eternity. What a comfort that is. So when we read in Genesis that in the garden, a lamb was slain to cover Adam and Eve. It is Christ who is pictured there. When we, when we hear the seed of the woman prophesied to crush the head of the serpent, Jesus was being prophesied. And throughout the Old Testament, every lamb, every bull, every goat, every sacrifice for sin whose blood was shed throughout the Old Testament, everyone anticipated the Lamb of God whose blood would cleanse men from sin. The Jews nor the Romans took Jesus' life. He said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He gave his life. He had the power to lay down his life and the power to take it up again in resurrection. And he gives to everyone who believes in him that same resurrection power. First to raise us from spiritual deadness at the moment we believe, repenting of our sins, and then resurrection power to raise us up in the age to come unto eternal life. The shedding of Christ's blood was not an afterthought nor a contingency. It was foreordained. He was chosen from before the foundation of the world to be 
the Savior, the Redeemer of God's elect. We can, we can spend a lot of time, we, we should spend the rest of our days getting fired up about that. Why, why can we sing Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Why can we, why can we speak of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and never tire of it? It never gets old because it is our hope. It is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel that we have. But as we're fired up about the foreordination of Christ Jesus to be our Savior, we are reminded that God's decree to save a people did not just stop at decree. It did not just stop at foreordination. God's plan, decreed, foreordained, was then perfectly executed. Perfectly brought to pass in time 2,000 years ago beginning with the virgin birth all the way through the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven and we see in this next phrase in verse 20 he was foreordained from, from before the foundation of the world but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you he has appeared in these last times. Christ Jesus appeared. He was not just a spirit. He was not just a vision. He was not just a dream. He was born of a virgin, taking to himself a true body, a real physical human body. And taking to himself a reasonable soul, reasoning, thinking, functioning, much like all human souls. He was born of a woman so that he did not inherit the sin guilt that was passed down from Adam through the fathers to all their offspring. He did not receive the sin nature that every one of us have received from our father. He was born of a virgin, born under the law that he might redeem those under the law. Christ has appeared. And the text tells us here, we notice Christ has appeared in these last times. In these last times. So we need to take just a moment and speak about these last times. So many are wondering when the last times will be. This may be a surprising statement for you, but the Bible is very plain and very simple to understand on this subject. From the time Jesus was born, lived, died, and was raised from the dead, we are in the last days. We are in the last days. The Bible speaks of times, and men have, and you could try to figure up the divisions of times, and however you divide times in various ways, maybe measuring times by prophets or by kings. You can measure from Adam 
to Moses, from Moses to David, from David to John the Baptist. However you divide up those times, it is clear from Scripture that now we are in the last times, the last days. There is, as the Scripture speaks of it, this age and the age to come. So I would challenge you, if you have an expectation or if you have a belief that requires more times, more days, that you should reevaluate in light of Scripture. We have this age and we have the age to come. I, I remember growing up in churches where I heard people speaking about what had to happen before Jesus returned. What has to happen? Before Jesus comes back. Well it will have to be after 1948 someone said. You may think this to be a joke but it is not. After satellite television is available throughout the world. That was a serious thing. In 1986. That's when Jesus will return. In 1988, because we were wrong about 1986. Wouldn't it be great to think that those things stopped in 88 or 86? But in 2021, some of you may remember seeing the billboards out on Interstate 35 between here and Austin. About Christ's return in 2021. Or when that didn't happen in September of 2022. Which if you're looking at your calendar Also didn't happen It goes on and on and on About what has to happen Before Christ will return And, and all of those predictions Have a terrible message For lost sinners The message is this Whether it's stated explicitly This is the implied message You can wait Till 1986 or 88 or 2000 Or till September you can wait. You don't have to repent now. You can wait till the last minute. And most people today think that even after Christians are raptured out of this world, that there will, after that point, be an opportunity for sinners to realize their mistake and to repent at that point. Listen, beloved. Since the angel announced at the ascension of Jesus that he would return in like manner. The only thing that delays Christ's return is God's own timing and God's own good pleasure. He is pleased to save sinners until he returns. And his returning will not be announced on a billboard. And at his returning, there will not be a second chance at repentance. So sinner, repent now. Believe on Jesus Christ now for forgiveness of sin. There will be no second chance after these last days are done. And in the age to come, in the age to come, every human will glorify God. 
Those who receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in this life, in this age, will be blessed forever in heaven in the age to come to the glory of his merciful grace. But for those who will not believe in Jesus, they will spend eternity in hell to the glory of his perfect justice. He has appeared in these last days. <coughs> Prepare for the age to come. Our text says he was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. This is where I've taken the title to the message for the sake of you. I think this ought to just for every Christian, we ought to well up with, with worship and with praise and with joy. He has appeared for the sake of you. And I'd like to take a moment for us to understand the sense of how we are to read for the sake of you. And, and there's a sense in which we could read this, that Jesus Christ has appeared for the sake of you. That I want to, I want to consider, but I don't think it is the, uh, the intention in this text, but I think it would be beneficial for us. First of all, there's, there's a sense in which we can say Jesus Christ coming Jesus Christ appearing was for the sake of God, for the sake of the glory of God. After all, ultimately, all things are for God's glory and the salvation of sinners through Jesus Christ coming and living and dying and being raised from the dead. The salvation of sinners is without question for God's glory, for God's worship, for God's praise. So we could say that. And I don't believe that Peter here, when he says Christ appeared for the sake of you, is excluding that Christ appeared for the sake of God's glory. He's not excluding that. We have here, though, Christ appeared for the sake of you. And this is this is wonderful. This is wonderful news. Christ came for you. Christ came for your sake. Now I mentioned that there's one way to understand this that, that I don't think is, is the correct way in this context, but it would benefit us to look. Some people would read this statement for the sake of you and would see, well, this must mean for the sake of all people. This must mean for the sake of all people. And, and I don't think this is what is intended here, but I want us to briefly consider how Christ's advent is for the sake of all people. And we'll go through this as quickly as possible. First, the advent of Christ is for the sake of all the Jews. All the observation of the law, the preserving of the prophecies and the word of God, all the rigor down through the ages was brought to fulfillment in Christ Jesus. So Christ appeared, at least in this sense, for the sake of all the Jews. 
But secondly, we could say that Christ's advent is for the sake of all the Gentiles. Christ Jesus coming was just as it was promised. A blessing to all people. Through Christ Jesus, salvation was not only available to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. So Christ appeared for the sake of all the Jews and for the sake of all the Gentiles. Thirdly, and, and this is an important point for us to understand, the advent of Christ is for the sake of every individual person. Every individual person. Both saved and lost. And in a moment we'll consider how the advent of Christ is for the sake of the saved. But I'd like for us to consider here that the advent of Christ is for the sake of every lost person who will spend eternity in hell. Every lost member of the human race based on inherited guilt and then based on our own actions Every lost member of the human race, everyone deserves hell. And every lost person deserves hell when? Now. Now. Without delay. Instant torment to last throughout eternity. This is the terror that is brought to mind when preachers like Jonathan Edwards preached hellfire sermons like sinners in the hands of an angry God. The reality of God's justice served out in eternal hell. And that due, that reckoning is deserved now. But sinners are walking the earth. Sinners who will one day be in hell are walking the earth. They're enjoying a beautiful day that the Lord has made and not acknowledging him as Lord. They are, they are spending this life lapping up the mercy and the long suffering of God. Sinner, today you deserve hell, but you are not at this moment suffering the torments of hell. And this is because Jesus Christ has appeared in these last days in order to save those who will believe in him. And it is only the saving grace of God toward those who believe that causes his mercy to overflow or to spill out onto those lost persons who will die and go to hell. If you will die and go to hell every day until that judgment day, it's mercy because Jesus Christ came. So even for those who will not believe in Jesus, they have a good day today and every day until the day they go to hell. Because Jesus came. He appeared in this sense. In this temporary sense. 
for the sake of every lost person who will die and be damned to hell. I, I don't think that this text, this text in its context, means any of those things, but we could search the rest of Scripture and make those points. This text, when it says he appeared for the sake of you, we must read it in its context. And we understand you here to be the intended reader, the intended audience of this letter. Christ appeared for the sake of you is to say that for the sake of you to whom this letter is addressed. It's addressed to the elect. Christ appeared for the sake of you, the elect. Brothers and sisters, remember, this falls under motivations for holy living. Christ has appeared in these last days for the sake of you. And the gifts that we receive, the gifts that come to our soul as a direct result of Christ's coming are so numerous we could never exhaust the list. But let's just go through a few. Christ appeared for the sake of you and we receive conviction of sin. We are called to salvation. We are chosen. We are justified. We are in process, in the ongoing process of sanctification. Christ appeared for the sake of you for forgiveness of sin, for cleansing from all unrighteousness. Christ appeared for the sake of you that you might be a new creation. Christ appeared for the sake of you that you might have hope of resurrection and a heavenly home. Christ appeared for the sake of you that you might have peace and goodwill with God. Christ appeared for the sake of you that you might have adoption as sons. Christ has come in, in one sense for his own sake. Uh, we can say in another sense for the sake of every person on earth. But Christians, Christ has come from our perspective for the sake of you. And because Christ has come for the sake of you, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He has appeared for the sake of you. He came for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. Verse 21 says who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Now there's more for a believer to believe than just what is named here. Some passages of scripture speak of believing to include Christ's sinless life, 
his crucifixion, his resurrection. But here, Peter only wrote of the resurrection from the dead and the glory given to Christ. Peter does not here mean to exclude or even to make of lesser importance things like the virgin birth, the sinless life of Christ, or the ascension of Jesus. But he names this one thing, the resurrection of Christ, as it sums up Christian belief. It is a thing that is, it is a thing, that, not the only thing, but it is one thing that the world looks at as odd that we believe. That the man Christ Jesus, the God-man, lived and died and lived again. And he lists this here. He names this here uh, kind of in summary. We believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And that resurrection was evidence. It was proof that God has accepted Christ's sacrifice for sin. It shows that the enmity with God is no more for those who were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. The resurrection is proof that Jesus is who he claimed to be. So, our text ends that your faith and hope are in God. Christian, all your faith, all your hope are in God. There is no hope outside of Christ. I'm so saddened to hear lost men speak of what their hope is in. My hope is in my good job. Men lose jobs every day. My hope is in my investments. Investments are lost every day. My, my hope is in the next election. How sad. There is no hope in any of those. Only, only temporary, momentary things can come from any of that. The only hope, the only lasting hope, the only real hope that we have is in Christ Jesus. It is in God through Christ Jesus. Your faith and your hope is in God. Lost person, let me remind you today that you are enjoying the mercy of God, but only for a moment. The Bible is clear. You must come to Jesus in repentant faith. Fall into his embrace. Rest in his marvelous grace. Believe in him today and be saved. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Father, we pray that you would apply your word to our hearts. God, that as we are reminded of our Savior, 
of the eternal plan of salvation that every Christian would be moved to worship, would be moved to praise and adoration, to thanksgiving. That we would, that we would well up with joy and God, that we would be moved we would be moved to bragging with no, no cause to brag on ourselves, no cause to boast in anything that we are or anything that we have done, that our boasting would be in Christ and that we would boast of our Savior. God, we pray for those who are without Christ Jesus. God, we pray that you would draw them to the Savior. God, we pray for our children, for our family members, for our friends and our neighbors. We pray that you would say, your glory for your sake but for the sake of every elect person we ask this in Jesus name